Welcome to They Live By Film, a platform dedicated to bringing you film discussion and interviews from around the world. I am Adam Lundy, joined as always with Chris Haskell and Zach Bryant. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Uh, it's been an interesting week. Um, so I've figured out that being an adult is terrible. Chris, I wish you had warned me. Um, <laughs> so I've been getting like my teeth done and done a work. I haven't had insurance. I know this is going to be a foreign concept to the uh, person in Europe here. I haven't had insurance in years. So finally going to the dentist. And uh, and then when I got to the dentist, they were like, hey, did you know your blood pressure is a little high? And I'm like, great. Awesome. <laughs> so now I'm eating nasty oatmeal and stuff for breakfast. But besides that, it's not too bad. Oh, man. Just, <laughs> yep, that's how it goes. <laughs> um, sorry to, sorry to hear that you're on the blood pressure train. Yeah. Um, but uh, is it medicine or is it just diet now? Uh, well, I, I don't have uh, medical yet. I don't get medical insurance until like November. So right now I'm just like, well, I'll do what I can on my end until that at least. And yeah. Try to eat less fast food. Try to eat more oatmeal and bullshit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. Well, uh, yeah, no, pretty good for me. I'm trying to think what happened this week. I came back from vacation and... Uh, Everybody was just waiting to to give me new work, so I'm running like a ton of concurrent projects right now, <laughs> and uh, super busy at work. But um, I, so far, I'm able to keep it contained where I'm not working on the weekends. I think I might have to work tonight because some people forgot to get me something, or just didn't do it. But um, I I know this busy season kind of ends in mid November, so just pushing through. Uh, these films were perfect though because I didn't have a ton of time this week so I know we're going to get into it here in a second but I appreciate you picking some of the lighter side these films were perfect well you know I just I know this is a little bit out of my wheelhouse to choose short horror films but I'm glad I was able to do it for you Chris <laughs> what about you Adam how you been yeah fine keep same old same old um, Great. Still, still on sort of going through training for this new role so yeah when does the training end and the role start? Uh, they're looking at end of November as a starting point. So, yeah, uh, it's been interesting. Been interesting. How do you want us to address time. you when you change? Adam, I don't know. <laughs> just the same. Uh, yeah, just the same as usual. Um, <laughs> as I, I don't make my my job my personality. As as far as I'm concerned, once I clock out, I don't work for that company. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I suppose we got to get cracking. Um, so, Zach, do you want to talk a little bit? I know you spoke last episode why you're choosing these films a little bit. Do you want to just give, in case listeners didn't get all the way to the end of that episode, uh, just uh, want to give an overview of what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, so today, uh, I figured with us just, for us, we're recording on the 9th. This will be out on, I don't know, what, like the 15th, the 14th? I think it's the 14th. Um, so figured if we're going to start Halloween and spooky season, uh, the best thing we can do is, you know, maybe get some Stephen King. Uh, he's probably been the most adapted author on the planet, especially definitely in horror. And, uh, you know, of course, go listen to Adam's last episode where he, uh, did some modern horror stuff. Uh, I still have to listen to it because I need some stuff to watch for the rest of the month. Um, but you would have definitely seen like everything on my list at least at least post 1950 you would have seen everything especially the new stuff i I do address it in the once i got to the 2000s onwards everything is very normy because i just don't keep up with a lot of stuff (laughs) um like i picked three 2022 films for my 2020s and you can hey it's been a good year man guess what they are so 
Yeah, I mean, 2022 has been a fantastic year this year, so I don't yeah. actually blame you for that. But <laughs> so I figured we'd talk about uh, probably one of the more underappreciated um, Stephen King adaptions, which is The Night Flyer, which is for us, we talk about uh, physical media. Phil does not have a Blu-ray or anything uh, in anywhere, as far as I'm aware. And, of course, we're going to talk about one of the more popular ones, John Carpenter's Christine. So uh, we can get started. Uh, you want to get started, Adam? Yeah, we'll, we'll get cracking. Uh, just before we do, then, just uh, obviously with the last episode, it was my first solo uh, recording. So I hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully you got some recommendations. As I mentioned in the recording, they are on my letterbox. If you didn't want to be taking notes the whole way through and actually wanted to make a watch list, uh, I do have a list on my letterbox, which you can find in the description if you want to go there and sort of take from that, that's cool. Uh, we do have a, our own subreddit that we've just opened up. Uh, so if you are a Reddit user, which I, I know a lot of our original audience probably are, because obviously, you know, this podcast started from a Reddit film club. Um, but if you go to r slash they live by film, uh, we're going to be posting all the new episodes, all the links to the new articles on the website, in case you've forgotten that we have a website. Uh, they're all going to be sort of all the links are going to be posted there every time there's a new article or a new episode as the community grows we're obviously going to look to get discussion posts going maybe some polls for like picking films all kind of down the line so if you're a reddit user make sure to subscribe to the subreddit and engage with us there you're going to be easily able to comment on this kind of stuff just for one second too i want to say thank you we just hit total uh over ten thousand listens total since we started which is just a so awesome to read that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening, sticking with us as formats have changed and things have evolved. We, we really appreciate you. We do have some other cool news for how we're expanding, but it's a bit too early to talk about that just yet. So maybe expect an announcement on that uh, over the next few episodes about another way that we're going to be expanding. Um, so let's crack in. Uh, where do we want to start with? Do you want to start with Christine or the Knife Flyer? I'm easy. Um, I mean, I guess if we want to do like, a and B, like B film and A film tradition, we probably should start with Christine first. It's it's definitely the more well known and probably the better of the two. But okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, we'll start we'll start with Christine. So for those who aren't aware, Christine, nineteen eighty three, John Carpenter, as Zach said, uh, the basic plot outline: a nerdish boy buys a strange car from with an evil mind of its own, and his nature starts to change to reflect it. Uh, very well known film. This is my first time watching it, uh, despite it being very well known. Obviously, I'm aware of the film and, and everything like that, but this is my first time actually sitting down watching it. I convinced uh, Neve to sit down and watch it with me. And when I so when I first told her like we were gonna watch like a Stephen King film, I didn't tell her what it was about at first. And she was like, "Oh no, it'll be scary." And I was like, "No, it's it's about a car that kills people. It's not really gonna be scary." Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started watching it, and then <laughs> a few minutes in, she was like this dude's not going to, like, fuck the car, is he? <laughs> it's my day. It's my... I was like, I don't think you will. I don't, I don't think they'll be that explicit about it anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but, so it was an interesting watch uh, to get, you know, her point of view of the film as we were watching it along with my own. Um, Chris, do you want to give us the, the facts and data behind this film where it stands on yeah. certain, certain... Yeah, definitely. So just a really quick Stephen King story for y'all. So... My wife is, uh, I'd say, like, relatively scared, kind of doesn't really like to watch a lot of horror movies. She, there's Some of them are okay. Um, but when we were on our honeymoon, we were in, in Greece, which was a different story, really fun. This was now 15 years ago. And uh, 
we were looking for something to to just like she she likes to fall asleep to like background noise like she'll have the office on to fall asleep or something like that but when we were over there um we didn't want to do that so i was we, we went to a bookstore to like find a book to read and the only things that were in english were stephen king books <laughs> so so we we thought it was be worth a try and that lasted about half of one night because <laughs> it was i forget which one it was now but it had to do with like people inside of a house getting terrorized by uh um you know whatever and then uh, some kind of a force from outside of the house and um yeah that didn't last long. is it bad he just described like probably like six stephen king books like exactly i was like which one is that yeah exactly I, I'll try to find it here in a second. But anyways, so I have a, I, I love Stephen King. I always have, he's one of my favorite authors, to be honest. Um, yeah. yeah. The Stand, I think, will, is, is one of the best, probably just like single book uh, that I've ever read in terms of, I just, I totally engrossed in that world. And, and I love the Dark Tower series. So anyways, big yeah. Stephen King oh, fan. Yeah. Um, the world likes Christine. Um, the world also... The world also likes John Carpenter, but um, uh, the They Shoot Zombies has this as the 260th best horror film of all time. Okay. So it's it's a beloved horror film. Um, and They Shoot Pictures is slightly less kind. Um, it's 9,222. But oh. for a film like this, I think the people that matter um, are rating it high. and And I totally get it. Um, I, you know, it was funny. I was going through this and just idiot. It's my first time through it. I was like, this really feels like, like this is a, a well-made movie. And then I was like, oh, John Carpenter. Yeah, of course. So I do want to give a little bit of a history for those who don't know uh, about how he got Christine. So it's, it's pretty short, but essentially he had gotten, I think it was a six picture deal through Universal. And, you know, he had done well, you know, all the movies like Assault from Precinct 13, Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York had all made good money. So they decided to kind of write him a blank check to do the thing, which I think was around $10 million or something, which was a higher budget than every film he had done combined at that point. And as, you know, as beloved as the thing is now, most people know the story, that film was hated both critically and it bombed in the box office uh, at, at release. Um, so from there, Universal actually canceled his uh, his contract, and so he was scheduled to do Firestarter um, the following year, which ended up being done by Mark Lester, who actually did another Stephen, uh, another John Carpenter project in the '90s. But I won't go into that. Um, so when he was just kind of looking for work, they had offered him Christine because that book had not came out yet. So he actually was making the movie before the release of the book. And it's actually very different, which I think is fascinating. I don't know if, I'm guessing neither one of you have read Christine. Um, it's, no. it's, of course, a little bit more convoluted. Uh, John Carpenter really like streamlines the whole thing, uh, makes it much simpler. Um, because- if, I, if, if I know Stephen King, he probably goes and tells like the different background stories of other people who have experienced the car. That and the car is controlled by the previous owner, the brother they mention in the movie. Technically, controls the car. Okay, right. It's it's a it, he like rides passenger seat with Art uh, with uh, Archie Cunningham. I see. Uh, they didn't. It's John Carpenter didn't think that was as scary, so he just said the car was doing it instead of it was being controlled. Like it's always been evil. That's why you have that whole scene at the beginning where uh, yeah. it's going through the assembly line and it kills someone. 
bad to the bone. <laughs> Interesting. Um, um, so when did when did you first see this, Zach? Oh, I was oh god, I was like a kid when I watched this. Probably okay. like ten or eleven years old at the at the most. Um, this was something my mom had on VHS, so I'd seen it quite a few times. It was before I really knew who John Carpenter really was. Like I knew, I, apparently, I knew when I got older. I realized, oh, I like a lot of his movies. Like I had seen mm-hmm. Escape from New York, I'd seen Halloween, The Thing, Christine. So I was pretty familiar with him even before I realized who he was. I'm trying to think. Is this scary or cool as a ten year old? Um, every, everything's kind of cool when you're a ten year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, no, I didn't really find it scary. I've never found this movie particularly scary. I think actually, every time I'm going to mention something I really like about this film, like it was just really cool. Yeah, so, definitely cool. <laughs> so I guess we should yeah, start yeah. with uh, a general feelings. Uh, Adam, you want to get started? Um, yeah, uh, I. It took me. It took me a while to get into the film. Um, I think the film probably takes a while to get into itself. Um, once, you know, once the the car mishaps really kick in, then I was I was pretty into it. Um, I don't think it has the best pacing in the world, but you know, it's certainly entertaining. There is, I'll, I'll probably mention it a little bit later rather than right now. But there's like one particular sequence that I loved. I thought was amazing. I, I, I um, bet I know which one it is. Yeah, you probably do. I think <laughs> I think probably everybody can agree it's probably the best part of the film, or at least the best sort of well shot part of the film. Um, but yeah, it took me a while to get into it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it took me a little while to get into it. Um, you know, I never really expected to be that entertained by a movie about like a killer car. You know, it's 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 one of the kind of sillier concepts, and I know. You know, Stephen King kind of has that kind of running joke where he'll find like any anything possible can be turned into like a killing machine. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Family Guy have a whole skit about it, how he's going to write a story about a, a, a lamp that murders people. Um, so, yeah, I thought overall, by the time the film ended, I was happy with it. I said, OK, yeah, that was a that was a pretty effective film. It was entertaining. Um, but for the first 30 odd minutes, I was kind of it was it was losing me a little bit until the car started going ham. Um, one thing I will say though, I was very impressed by the effects. Um, oh the way yeah, the car fixes itself. I was very very impressed by that. Um, I'm not too sure how they did it. Um, I'm sure you might know the backstory and can maybe enlighten us on how they did it. Um, but I was very impressed by that. But overall, I liked the film, but it it did take a little bit of time to 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 really grasp me. So it's probably not too shocking, uh, at least in this sense, that they that part's filmed in reverse. But how okay. they actually went through and actually did that part was they took hydraulics to basically crush the car on it on itself, and That's then they would run the film right. backwards, and then it would uh, look like it's yeah. Fixed. I assumed had... it was backwards, but I couldn't figure out how they got it to crush, you know, itself, you know, from the in almost from the inside or something. I couldn't figure out how they how they sort of crushed it without showing anything actually crushing it if that makes sense yeah and you know i think back now and you know if they tried to remake this now god i bet it would have terrible cgi awful yeah you just know you know it'd be awful yeah 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 i i just assumed it was like a really well-made inflatable that they added uh creaking noises into in the back end well, they, yeah, well, they actually had a decent amount of cars to destroy for Christmas. Okay. Like, they, I think they had about 10 or so. So oh, there wow. were several that were just used to destroy. 
and there was like two that actually ran. Because the bright thing about the Plymouth Fury is it has a button um, sh- <coughs> uh, transmission. So it's not like you you shift into the transmission. There's buttons you have to press. And those notoriously stick, so that's why there's not many running ones even today. Uh, that was just a bad concept by Plymouth. But um, yeah, they, they had issues even with the running ones. But uh, there's still one left. Uh, they actually, the guy who owns it, had said he was going to part the car when Universal was trying to get rid of it. He's like, yeah, I'll just get rid of it for parts. And he ended up restoring it, and he takes it on shows now. So it's worth a ton of money at this point. But it's like it's the only living Christine left. Uh-huh. So what about you, Chris? What did you uh, what did you think of Christine? Uh, I, so as the, the very first scene... Um, I was like, oh, this is going to be like a good, like kind of 80s high school movie. Like, okay. Cause like, there's just a certain, certain 80s kind of, you know, like Jim Wynorski, like Chopping Mall, that style, that that's different. It's a little bit more goofy and funny, but that catches me. This one was probably more shot in the like, almost like Revenge of the Nerd style or something uh, in terms of like a, maybe a comparison in terms of the way it was shot. Um, but uh yeah, I was kind of drawn in just by the characters. I like, I like the, I was curious what, where they were going to go with this. Um, I thought it was good. The only thing I have to say, though, as somebody who wears glasses, I mean, context now, um, I, I have to give this movie a fail on the explanation for how he loses his glasses and gets his sight back. <laughs> uh, the car is not going to be able to fix his eyesight. <laughs> Chris can believe a... Uh... A living embodiment of a car, but God, yeah. if the kid can now see a suddenly. That's just people. Yeah, one step too far. Step too far from <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't even try to explain it. It was just like, oh, your eyeglasses are off, and he was like, yeah, and it's like it's Christine, but that doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I'll, I'll give a bullshit explanation that I'm just thinking up on the fly. So, like the whole thing with like the longer he's with Christine, the more Christine fixes herself. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. she he's putting work into it, but at the end of the day, she's doing the work. Maybe in the same way, he's feeding off her, and like he, the, his uh, imperfections are starting to get like fixed. So his eyesight is suddenly fixing itself through Christine's, I don't know, magical powers. There's a bridge bullshit too, fan. Bridge too far for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did really like, um, I did really like the folklore around it. Do you think that John Carpenter, or well, I guess Stephen King? just had like a toxic relationship that he was writing about like is that is this movie about toxic relationships um you know it'd be interesting i gotta see it's the, it wasn't toxic they stayed friends i'm trying to remember when him and andre uh, andrea babineau would have broken up it may have actually okay. been around this time um so i mean that could definitely be part of it but i don't know right offhand but stephen king i mean i don't know his wife's put up with him for like 50 years so i yeah. think yeah <laughs> But it definitely, I, I see where Chris is coming from, though. Like, it does seem to have a theme, like, you know, the way, like, your, your friend starts going out with this girl and suddenly he changes his whole personality, you know, that kind of way. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, we've all experienced that in some degree. Um, and this definitely has the same kind of vibe, you know, obviously, except this time it's a car. <laughs> uh, it's changed the personality. Uh, I did like Keith Gordon uh, in this film. Um, I, I went like looking him up to see like if he did much afterwards. Um, and I saw that he's like a really accomplished TV uh, director and writer. He's like directed like those episodes of like things like Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, like some like very high sort of quality TV shows. 
uh, he doesn't really do much acting anymore. He's more of a TV director. Um, but I liked him. I thought he was good. Um, you know, in, in sort of both sort of both roles, he kind of plays first initially as a sort of very meek nerd, and then the kind of, I don't know, we can't really call him strong, but like you know the the kind of more edgier edgier guy, greaser dude, yeah, yeah, that he becomes later on, yeah. Um, I, I like John Stockwell. I thought he was good as well. His character is like the nicest dude ever. It's like everyone would like want to be this guy's friend. Totally. Um, I liked the um. The, the bully <laughs> the bully who like picks on him and he looks like he looks like if um if jim morrison was in metallica um, that's, he also uh, looks 40 yeah no that's just that's just high school movies in the 80s it's always, it's always gonna be the way it's like in greece you know there where they have like one of the one of the guys in greece is like literally like 40 years old bald totally. uh, you know that's just you know and you guys are even unique for Stephen King because like fucking Sissy Spacek was almost 30 when she played in Carrie. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's not too, I'm not going to get too hung up on the fact that but how old the kids, some of the kids look. Uh, that's just expected. Um, but yeah, I thought the cast were all pretty good. Obviously Harry, Harry Dean Stanton, the I was going to say the living legend, the, the now deceased, unfortunately, legend uh, was in it. I always like when he shows up in things. Yeah. So I thought the cast was good. The effects were good, as we said score was it was a, it was a John Carpenter score that <laughs> um, goes boom and bap and there's little synthy bits um, that's uh, pretty much John Carpenter score so it's fine um, but yeah the, the part that, that I sort of alluded to earlier and you can tell me Zach if you're thinking of the part as well when Christine is chasing the jock guy down the road yes, and the sound fire that's fucking awesome that is such a good little sequence and Christine's on fire chasing him down. And it's almost like it's like David Lynch saw that and said, I'm gonna use that, something like that. Uh in, and, and he does kind of in Lost Highway when he's shooting the road. I thought about that when I watched Lost Highway too. I was like, that's yeah. Christine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so that that part that that's like a 10 out of 10 moment in, in the film. That's like the one the rest of this film, I'll like say it's like a solid seven out of ten, but that's like one moment where it's like, okay, yeah. Carpenter killed it in that sequence. And since I know way too much about this film, I'll give the background of that just because I think this is super <laughs> cool from like a stunt perspective. So the stunt driver had to have the windows completely blacked out. So he, they had to light the car on fire, and he has to back out of the um, of the uh, gas station that they've just like ran into, and then he's got to be able to go like sixty miles per hour with no ability to see with the car on fire. And I just think that is waste that's super cool like just being able to do that just like yeah we're going to ask you to do something about as death defying as it goes you're not going to be able to see you're just going to be guessing i hope you know what you're doing just sort of kind of tenuously related just regarding drivers and stuff because obviously now the film is so kind of well known we all know it's about a killer car one thing i noticed kind of earlier in the film um is that the windows are always blacked out during the scenes was the audience like supposed to be thinking that this was our arnie doing all this initially they are yeah or i think it's just it's just supposed to be is he involved in it because i mean they kind of ruined that at the beginning of the film with the first that's scene. what i'm wondering yeah because yeah, yeah. it's we, we show that the car is a killer like literally the first scene so i was wondering was this supposed to be a twist that it's the car doing it and not arnie i guess it's supposed to lead up to 
God, I feel bad. At the very end where we do see Arnie's in the car, but then you still don't really know if he's there the whole time or if he's just there at the end doing, like, he's so lost at that point that he's, Christine doesn't even have to do it on her own. He can do it as well. I, I, I've always been a little confused about that as well, to be honest, like what they really wanted that to be. And I think that has a lot to do with it being so different from the book. Like you don't want to overcomplicate it, but I'm yeah. not also sure what they're doing there a hundred percent. Yeah. Like it, it, I think it's probably maybe a case where they're like, okay, this first scene is going to give it away but it's also really cool. So we got to decide what we prefer. <laughs> we want to have, do we want to have a cool cold open or do we want to, you know, not give away the twist and they kind of just decided to stick with the cool cold open. And, and it goes back to a lot with like I, I, Carpenter's whole thing where, you know, evil is just sort of born. Like, you know, he, he's about as anti of Rob Zombie Halloween as you can get. I mean, he has Michael Myers be just born evil and the car is just born evil. Uh, that's, that's just how it is. Evil just exists. Nothing you can do about it, but it's here sort of thing. And I think that's why he likes that better than like, it's a ghost controlling the car and, you know, he's getting the car is getting revenge or the person's getting revenge through the car sort of idea. Like, I don't think he necessarily finds that interesting. That's another thing I was kind of wondering about because we didn't really get much of a, of a, maybe an explanation as to like, maybe like, I don't know, like it's a, a demon controlling the car or someone put a, a curse over the car or something but yeah it just shows up in the assembly line with a mind of its own and a bloodlust but we don't really know why we've we've talked about this before on here but have y'all and i'm sorry if i forget have y'all seen the last matinee that argentinian film no it's on my list but i haven't seen it yet i know it's got a lot of eye stuff that's the only thing i've or, heard of. yeah or sorry uruguayan film um but that's a, that's a good example. I think sometimes horror works like this where you just – there's no background on the killer. There's no story. It's just this guy shows up and starts slaughtering people in a movie theater, and they have to try to fight him. And it works. Like, the movie's great. Uh, I, I, think, I think – yeah. No, I was going to say, I, yeah, I agree. I think that people get bogged down, like, really hard in horror about, okay, how do we ground the audience? Oh, well, let's just give this complicated explanation they don't give a shit about, like – I'm watching a killer car movie. I want to see the car kill. I don't care why it's doing it. Totally. It's the Jurassic Park Dominion uh, discussion, right? Like you just want to see 60% of the movie be cool dinosaurs and they, they pull it off. Yeah. Like know your audience. Like there's a, there's a lack of pretension when you just know what your audience is there for and you play into that and you still make something, you know, in the case, in the case of Christine, you still make something fun and good out of it. Like, yeah, it's not, it was never going to be the thing, or it's never going to be Halloween. But as far as like Carpenter horror movies go, it's pretty solid. Like it's a solid, it's a solid thing in his filmography for horror. I think it's better than Prince of Darkness. Maybe not better than uh, In the Mouth of Madness or anything, but yeah, I agree with Prince put... of Darkness. That nearly put me to sleep during the week. So, <laughs> oh, did you watch? You didn't like it? No, I uh... I was very bored. <laughs> it has a lot it has a lot of nice ideas but like i didn't give a shit about the plot or the characters at all it's like a it's like the it's like a chris nolan horror movie <laughs> <laughs> i mean i would also watch chris nolan horror film at this point yeah exactly well zach you you're consistent you put christine above prince of darkness and right below escape from la i like escape from la i, I actually like that movie quite a bit i thought Escape from LA is awesome. <laughs> yeah, like it's the same movie again. Um, 
But I don't know. It's pretty cool. Like I, I was, mean, kind of. Except this time he can play basketball and then he can surf and like escape from LA. Just they just just pulls no bunches. LA. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not spoiling. We're not spoiling anything for you because literally, it's the same plot. It's the exact same plot. The same yeah. beats are happening, but it's done pretty well. Like, there's some goofy stuff in it. It's definitely goofier than Escape from New York, but yeah. Snake Plissken's still cool. But yeah, uh, um, yeah. So Christine, uh, I really like it. <laughs> um, it's it's not my favorite, but it's a it's a nice one. I like to throw on during October sometimes. Just like yeah, it's it's, a, it's an easy it's an easy watch. You know, it's just a bit of goofy, goofy fun, I suppose, isn't it? So it'll probably end up in my kind of rotation as well, um, in October's because it's just it's just easy, goofy fun. And I, I was and trying to go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Oh no, I'm sorry, man. I was trying. To, I was asking you about how old you were earlier because I was debating whether or not I could show this to my five year old. There's probably he's probably a little young for it, but like. I probably showed it to a seven or eight year old. Like, there's nothing really cr- like that scary. You know, the only thing that could be scary is now we have autonomous cars that are coming out. Um, <laughs> so exactly, it could yeah. be accidentally <laughs> prophetic. <laughs> uh, it, 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 you know, it's interesting because they were so worried about this film getting a PG rating. Um, so that's why the word fuck is all over this film. Like, he rewrote the script. So they said fuck all the time. He's like, we're not getting a PG rating. Because there's really not that much violence in it, and it's not gory, um, so they really, really wanted to get that R rating. Uh, but I just want to note that my girlfriend hates it when after I watch the movie, I'll just say "shitter" all the time because I think that line's hilarious, like where the guy just calls <laughs> the shitter for the entire film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, to leave on like one more behind the scenes thing on this. So no one ever has to watch the behind the scenes featurette of this. You never have to do it. I will. I am telling you all the cliff notes now. Uh, there's a scene of John Carpenter where he's looking at the main actress. I can't remember her name right off, but like, he looks really confused, like while he's looking at her. And the reason that is, is she has a twin sister. So they did a little prank where she came in and acted for her. And John Carpenter just couldn't figure out what was going on. Like, he's like, something's just not right. And so they did this like for the whole day and that picture's taken where he just like keeps looking at her, trying to figure out what's up. And then the other girl comes in and like reveals that she, that he had just, she had just got her twin sister to do it all day and this whole thing. And I was like, at least it was a fun set, I guess. The, are you talking about Lee? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. I'm just looking her up actually. I was going to talk about her briefly. So it looks like her name is Alexandra Paul. That's it. That's, that's it. That's it um that's awesome she had an interesting career she's she's been working uh ever since this like she was in dragnet Mm -hmm. i didn't actually i've never looked her up i don't think yeah she was in dragnet she's been in a bunch of movies like almost every year she's been in one or two movies um she was in piranha the the tv remake of piranha she was in spy hard which is that's a comedy i grew up with um she was in baywatch which makes sense. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, she was in Baywatch. Okay. Melrose Place, which, so she's kind of gone that way. But I mean, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, hey, I mean, it seems like they've all had pretty decently successful careers. I mean, uh, Adam mentioned that um, one, you know, one, I think that Gordon is working at TV now and doing like good TV shows. So good for them, really. I mean, because this was a pretty small production and, you know, yeah, was... like like some of the TV shows he's worked on. He worked on House, The Killing, Dexter, 
Masters of Sex, The Leftovers, Better Call Saul, Fargo, Home. And these, and these, these are, are like top cinematic. Top rated stuff, show. Yeah. yeah, these are top rated TV shows, you know. So um he's like he's working on it's not like he's you know you know doing you know soap operas he's working on like sort of top tier television so yeah that, that's you heard it here first adam doesn't think soap operas are top tier television <laughs> <laughs> what a hot no. take <laughs> sorry fans of whatever i don't know what soap operas you have i know there's only like four on now like all much i don't even know if all my children's on actually maybe days of our lives <laughs> oh, <laughs> not many left Wait, so days of, I thought that was from Friends. Is that so? That's actually real. That's a real show. Yeah. the The ironic oh. thing with Friends is Days of Our Lives is filmed in L.A. and somehow Joey plays on it while he's in New York. That's the kind of the joke. Oh, all lives. right, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know what that like. I don't know what else to say about this. I thought the movie was fun. The way it went, the way that it kind of started to um, play out was was entertaining. Um, the, I, I love the way they use music in the film. It was perfect. The way, because I was kind of curious how they were going to do like a possessed car. Um, and I think doing it through music was perfect. Um, yeah, she I gets like, her yeah. mood through that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice way of not having to use horrible effects. Like I just saw Anaconda 3 and they went the other route and decided to, on a low budget, they decided to use bad special effects. And it just, it just hurts the movie. Like, um, use practical effects when you can. <laughs> I know that's a lesson that's already been learned by like a lot of good, you know, horror fans. But like, I thought this was great the way they did that. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- it's a fun. I'll be looking forward to when I can show this to Owen. I for- I forgot that it, all the all the um, the language in it. So maybe he's a little bit older. I'll wait till he already knows the words. He's in. A public school now so it won't be long <laughs> and i mean never ask me if it's appropriate for your kids like my mom showed me like howard horror films when i was like three years old which just warped everything in my life so i am probably the worst person to say oh, but you'd be like when did they watch martyrs i don't know like six that's a good age so Martyrs, six <laughs> years old i think they can handle it then i'm i mean when i worked at blockbuster there was a couple of families that would come in and the kid would pick out you know the next Freddy movie or the next Halloween movie or whatever and the mom was like I don't know he just loves it so I mean there's some kids that really take to it too yeah like I, I like my dad showed me the evil dead when I was like four or five um, <laughs> and this is when it was banned in Ireland he had like a like the evil that was actually banned in Ireland at one point at uh, the original yeah evil that was banned in Ireland and he had like a, a bootleg VHS um I saw the exorcist at a similar age um and then I was talking about this in our Discord uh, a little while ago, because um, Shudder have a 100 scariest moments thing going on at the moment. But like there was a there was a one done like the early 2000s for I think Channel Four in the UK uh, with Jimmy Carr as the host of it, where he'd go through the 100 scariest moments. And like I watched that like nearly every Halloween from like the age seven onwards when it originally aired. It it spoiled every single major horror movie for me. Um, so because it, it was it was always the fucking end. Even don't look now got spoiled on me. Um, so it, it spoiled every ending. But like, yeah, I was I was exposed to it as well from like super young. Um, I can't wait till this podcast is used as evidence from like the federal Ireland FBI or something to say uh, video nasties. Here they are. This is I the just, co- just screwed over my dad. He's <laughs> <laughs> gonna go to jail for owning bootleg VHSs. <laughs> 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 
And uh, speaking of being possessed by uh, a spirit outside of ourselves, let's talk about Collection Corner and the things that we buy from the labels we love. Um, this is my favorite week, um, last last week, I guess, uh, because it's when the Vinegar Syndrome package comes in. So as a subscriber, I always look forward to this week. Um, speaking of horror, they, they put out a medieval horror. So Vinegar Syndrome now has a medieval horror uh, as part of their portfolio. Um, so that was pretty cool. They also put out Buried Alive, which is a really fun one. And then, Adam, I know you said no more Hong Kong movies for a while, but if you ever get a chance to see The Iceman Cometh, that's a really fun movie. Um, then the partner labels, probably the biggest release was um, Married to the Mob. Fun City put out Married to the Mob. So they're getting higher and higher up in the in the food chain as far as you know box office goes on initial release that was a pretty popular movie when it came out um so good on them for being able to license that and put it out um and then agfa put out a movie called uh, fuck the devil and fuck the devil Two: return of the fucker <laughs> which feels appropriate for halloween season <laughs> um but anyways good good month for the the pack the um the subscriber and the, and the um, partner releases um, I'm super stoked. I got from Terracotta um, a distribution. You know, he specializes or they specialize in kind of like Asian cinema. So they they put out movies from every company, Eureka, 88 Films, all those all those folks. Um, but they ship it across the world. So they get around like the region stuff that way they, by shipping through Terracotta. And uh, I got Half a Loaf of Kung Fu, which is a Jackie Chan movie, Black Cat, and then the Tiger Cage trilogy. So I'm excited about that. Um, Last thing I'll say, just real quick, because Severin released this book. Uh, I don't know if you all know, have heard of this. It's called House of Psychotic Women, and it's from Kiela Janice. Have you all heard anything about this? I've seen the box set. I've been curious about it, yeah. So the box set is, is, a, is yeah, from the book, but the, the book that, that she put out, it's this incredible work. So basically, you know, Kiela Janice is this... Um, She's in Canada and she, called, she found something called like the Miskatonic Society of Horror or something, but she's really big into horror. Um, and she's a researcher and a, and a professor. She actually holds like, this is like a real like university that holds classes and stuff. Um, but uh, the, the book, what she did was she looked at the way that women were portrayed as psychotic, quote unquote psychotic. So she looked at movies like Possession or she looked at movies like whatever, like throughout the ages, carry, you know, anything where women are portrayed is really crazy. And she put it in the context of her own life. So she tells like personal stories and moments where she's felt crazy and just tries to make like a human sort of uh, put a humanity onto these women in these movies of like, it sucks, you know, the stuff that they were going through can really make you feel crazy. So she gets really raw and like open from her own personal stories and also ties it in really well into film history. So it's a cool piece of work. And each movie that she talks about is like a short blurb. So it's very digestible. And um, yeah, I think it's it's one of the better film books I've ever read. Um, and I'm only just getting kind of started with it, but it's great. Um, and uh, they also released a box set as part of that. Um, and then they released The Changeling. So there's some big movies coming out now through these boutiques, which is kind of cool. And I did want to note that uh, I got I secured my copy from for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 for Vinegar Syndrome. So I'm super stoked for that. Yeah. 
It's the last thing I'm buying for a while. So <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. Um, I'll go real quick. Uh, I have something very short and this really isn't directly to anything coming out, but I did just want to give like a shout out to like this guy. I have uh, recently gotten the last three for the 4k screen factory releases for Halloween six through eight, the top tier of the Halloween franchise, of course. Um, but the thing with uh, the thing that was kind of interesting with them is they had to sell that as a box set because it was the only way they were going to be legally allowed to sell it is they all had to come together, but they still came in like the slip boxes and everything. And so I thought it'd be cool. There was a guy on Etsy who, uh, let me make sure I get his name right. Cause I thought he, was, he did pretty well called blockbuster box sets who makes these custom box sets for different things like that. So he made one for Halloween and I had actually ordered this box set a while ago and they were prepped to hold all eight of the ones that came out, especially since it doesn't look like the Rob Zombie ones will be coming out through Scream Factory, at least not right now with the rights issues there. Um, And so I got it and I was excited to put them in. And because Halloween six has four discs and it's a bigger slip box, it didn't fit in there. So even before uh, I, oh. yeah, it, it, well, and the cool thing was that I, I give us a ton of credit before I even saw it. I noticed he sent me a message. He said, Hey, not going to fit. I'm sent, I'm fixing another one right now. As soon as I get mine in and I'll send yours out for free. And he's doing that for like everyone's stuff. So, you know, just it's, it's, a, it's kind of a niche part for the custom part of physical media, but I thought that was super cool. I think that's really nice when they do that. I'm sure this guy is going to be out of like, a ton of money um to remake every box that he's already sold and send them out but still really cool stuff so you know nothing else shout out to that guy if you're looking for like custom boxes for marvel or texas chainsaw massacre or halloween or anything he does them so do you have do you have it handy to show is it uh i don't have a, give me like one second adam if you want to get started and i'll show you what the old one looks like he hasn't sent me the new one yet yeah yeah Cool. Um, so I'll just give a quick shout out to our friends over at Eureka. Um, they have just announced the 4K Ultra HD release of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Uh, I have already put it on pre-order because um, how could I not? I didn't want to miss it on the amazing uh, packaging and booklet that they put together. It looks like a really good release. Um, this is pure. This is the most best way I can describe a film collector. I've just pre-ordered this 4K. I don't have a 4K player. Um, I wanted it because it looks nice and I will anticipate. I'm future-proofing myself as uh, as I was. I tried to get Neve to talk me out of buying it. And she was like, well, you're going to have a 4K player eventually. We're gonna, you're going to get a new Xbox or something and it has 4K player on right. it. So future-proof yourself is what she told me. So I was like, okay, <laughs> you don't tell me twice. Um, so I pre-ordered that. Really looking forward to it. It's a really good film. I've been meaning to revisit it. Um, and I didn't actually buy the Blu-ray when I was going to be bought. I was going to buy it recently and I didn't. So now I'm glad because um, it looks like a really, really great release from Eureka, who just to give them a shout out, as always, they do have free worldwide shipping. So um, there's really no reason to not buy from them. It might take a little bit of time getting to you, but because it's not traceable, it's not trackable or anything like that, which can be a little bit annoying. But I've never had one arrive like super late especially my pre-orders they always arrive within a week of it coming out sometimes i've even had them arrive a few days before the release date so um they're 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 fairly reliable on that front uh, the only thing i'll just give another quick shout out to our friends at indicator are having a sale at the moment by the time this episode comes out there will only be two days left of the sale 
Um, so if you want to get on that, it ends on the 16th. Um, and yeah, you know, we've had Eureka on the podcast before. We're all big fans of their work. So if you've ever considered, you know, buying stuff from them, uh, their sales on now, they have some really great deals, especially their box sets are always really good value. Oh, yeah. And here is this one. This is the box set. As it's a, the one that's not fixed, but um, really high nice in the artwork nice. stuff. And I mean, this fits seven of them out of eight. I don't know. Uh, not going to fit the eight. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The dimensions weren't, weren't done. Because right. Halloween yeah. 6 is ridiculously huge because it's got two versions of the movie in it. But yeah, okay. so cool guy. Just Both doesn't... of them suck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's cool that he's going to send me a fixed one so should have that hopefully uh this week uh he's already shipped it um but yeah it's cool stuff really high-end artwork i know i don't think you really collect the marvel i know you like marvel adam i don't know if you collect it but he has boxes so if you want to put all the stuff in there and stuff it's pretty cool that is cool that is cool speaking of halloween six and movies that suck let's talk vampires (laughs) (laughs) let's do it let's talk about mark pavia's uh the night flyer Heck yeah, baby. Oh, well, I guess uh, I should read what it's about. So essentially, yeah. uh, I don't even have to get it up because I already know what it's about. Uh, Miguel Ferreira is uh, a shitty fucking tabloid writer. Uh, he likes that this guy is killing a bunch of people and it's a vampire. There, I gave you the synopsis. <laughs> is there any available facts and data about this film, Chris? Is it, does it crack the top 10,000 of uh, the shoot pictures? Not 10,000. Not 10, it's... Um... Horror fans like it. It's in the top thousand. It's six twenty-eight. Oh, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, okay. and uh, they shoot pictures has it at twelve eight oh nine. Okay. Oh yeah, I'll th- I, you know what? Those are better numbers than I thought. I will take it. <laughs> it's right right ahead of um, April Fool's Day, which uh, is that the horror comedy from the eighties? Mm-hmm. Um, the Crazies. Romero or the remake? Romero, Romero. Um, yeah, nothing else that I think is probably immediately uh, knowable. It's right ahead of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> okay, sure. But um, yeah, it gets a little bit of love on here. Um, so this has always been, for me, like one of my favorite Stephen King adaptions. Um, it may seem inexplicable. I, I think it's just really cool design because like, of course, when you think of Stephen King, you're thinking of like vampires, you think of Salem's Lot, which the whole point of that one was the idea of like, what would happen, you know, th- Salem's Lot was such a big deal because most vampire stories were period pieces. And Salem's Lot is very present day. That is a huge piece of that. And it really changed a lot. I don't think we realize now, but that all came from what if Dracula was in New York City and his wife said he'd probably be hit by a taxi. Uh you know, and it kind of got him interested in writing uh, Adam's Lot. And then this came out in a short story collection, I think in the 80s. I can't tell you which short story collection anymore. Uh, but it's kind of using more of a Nosferatu. Like, I think he really likes the Nosferatu style vampires. That This one's kind of a little bit more extreme in that sense. Like the single tooth and everything else. But um, still an uh, interesting idea to have, like, in, in a world of it's gonna sound dark and when you have like you see all these like mass murder things it's kind of an interesting story more now than i think it may have been when it came out um you know somebody going from town to town and uh through the the night sky and stuff like that so 
I always found it a neat movie and especially like, you know, of course the big thing, it's not deep at all. It's just criticism towards media. You know, the more he, you know, the vampire feeds off of killing, the more the tabloid writer feeds off of that death. And is he any better than that sort of thing? So. There's a, there's a great line where his editor goes, God, I hope more people get killed. <laughs> <laughs> Subtlety was not, not up there. <laughs> <laughs> This was a bit of a, like a roller coaster of a movie for me. So I was watching it and I think I was about 10 minutes in when I messaged Zach and I was like, I feel so bad for Miguel for uh, having to make this movie. <laughs> and then we were talking about it and then I went back to it. Um, and then I started getting into it a little bit more. And I was like, yeah, he, like, he's a real fucking scumbag. Uh, this, uh, this, main, this main character that he plays, like, he's, a real, he's a real bad guy. I think at one point his editor also tells him to like, keep the victims over, over two years old or something like that. And um, basically like implying that he goes in and shoots like dead babies or shoots photography wise, not with uh, a gun. Uh, he takes photos like dead babies and shit, just like real, real shitty stuff. Um, and then about halfway through, he has that moment in the hotel, you know, where he's like visited by the vampire and uh, like it, he didn't, can't tell if it was a dream or not. And it has like one of the funniest lines I've ever heard in a movie. Um, because like he's sitting there and like there's a glass of like whiskey, there's like a, a bottle of whiskey beside it. And like most 99% of the movie, the character will go, oh, I need to lay off that stuff. But he goes, I need to drink more of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I, I think Ferrer really does play it with a good sense of humor. Like he knows how over top the character is. Yeah, and he I, really I, delves into it. I love Miguel Ferrer. Um, obviously, he's, he has he's in Twin Peaks. Uh, he was more of a supporting role, but he did have a bit a bigger role in the in the third series in the Return. Um, so I love I love Miguel Ferrer. I think it's fantastic. Uh, was fantastic. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. I, I thought he was a really underrated character actor. Uh, wish he got more work. Um, and he was yeah. great in this. Um. The whole way through, though, I was still like, yeah, this movie's it's fine. It's okay. Um, but the last, like, 20 minutes of this film is fucking awesome. Yeah, like, so honestly, good. I was probably in the same boat you are the first time I watched it. And I was like, I am so, like, allured by that ending. Of the it's whole so movie. good. It's so, so good. Obviously, we'll get, we'll probably go deeper into it in a, in a little while. But yeah, the ending of that movie is like, that's like a five out of five ending. Uh, it's so good. But um, yeah, the rest of the film's fine. It's okay. It's it's it, it's very TV movie-ish. Yeah, it's uh, funny because... Miguel Ferrer, he, yeah. I, he elevates it, I think. I think a lesser actor, it's not as good. I agree. And, I, you know, it's weird because this movie was supposed to go to theaters and then HBO released it like months ahead of time before it went to theaters. So then it ended up bombing in the box office because everyone saw it on HBO already. And it has... A TV movie look. It has a very Stephen King TV movie look. Um, and Mark Pavia, interesting enough, has really only made, as far as I'm aware, one other film. And it came out in 2015, uh, a slasher movie called Fender Bender, um, which I actually, yeah, I own that one, actually. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's ha- he hasn't had like a big career. And I don't know if it had to do with like the failure of this movie or what it was exactly, but I don't know. It's got a, more of a cult fan base now than it did when it released, for sure. It is kind of surprising that this isn't on Blu-ray yet. Like, yeah, it's it, it feels like the kind of like there's a lot worse movies that already have releases. It's not like this is a bad movie that 
you need to like, I mean, it's, it's well-made, you know, like it's a good kind of gritty detective story with, with a, um, or not detective, but like, you know, gritty journalism story, I guess, with the horror element in it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it's a rights thing. Like I said, I guess Warner Brothers owns it because uh, it went on HBO. I'm not sure if that's actually true. I'm just kind of spitballing, you know, who maybe owns the rights here. Or it's just stuck in that type of hell where nobody knows who owns it. So nobody can do anything until they figure that out of who's supposed to get paid for this movie. Um, I think that's why it's on YouTube and it's never been taken down. Like, I think that link has been there for years. And oh, wow. it's, yeah, and I, I don't think anybody can claim it because... They don't know who owns it. So that would be my speculation, at least. Because it's kind of like Storm of the Century. Storm of the Century is another one that hasn't gotten a Blu-ray release yet. And Kino put out a DVD of that very recently, actually. Um, another DVD, but they didn't put it out on Blu-ray. Hmm. So we can we talk about... I mean, we, we don't have to get to the spoilers yet, but eventually we're going to have to talk spoilers in this movie, right? We have to get to the ending, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I think you do. I think because I think it's the best part to talk about. Okay. Yeah. So before before we get there, then so basically you you see this guy who works for like a tabloid, right? Go chase like this great story that's he says this is going to put me on the front page or whatever. Like he's you know he wants to sell a lot of copies, um, and so he he starts initially says no, but then he he sees that this is a real story, so he starts chasing this story. And there's a little bit of business with the junior reporter who's following him around and, and trying to get the story for herself. Um, uh, I honestly, like, I didn't really register when he found the title, the night flyer, because one of the townsmen had said it and it kind of like dawned on him. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't like the way that the movie ended, it didn't register to me. It did catch me by surprise. Like it didn't register to me that, uh, they were going to take that that approach with the story, so I thought they handled that really well. Like I think it was set up perfectly for the move, for the ending to be effective. Yeah, and you know, it's I, I can't like I said I need to look up when this movie was done because you know there's a lot of cynicism, of course, with the journalistic aspect and stuff. And you know, talking about Christine, you think about uh, Christine. How do you say like Chubbuck? the one who ended up killing herself on air because she was like so disgusted by like uh, oh, yeah. how how news stations were like how, you know obviously there was a lot more deeper mental health issues going on but you know she was she did not like that they just like blood uh, blood and guts through that's what people paid for that's what people wanted to see and you know there there's a huge amount of cynicism uh around journalism to that degree uh, and I think, you know, that's what kind of what Miguel Ferrer is kind of representing as the worst of it. Like, it almost reminds you of, like, Lou Bloom from uh, Nightcrawler. Mm. If y'all have seen that. I haven't one. seen it, but I know what it's about. And that's exactly what I was thinking of as well. Um, especially that scene when Miguel Ferrer shows up at the car car, um, car crash. Mm-hmm. And he's there just, like, straight up just taking pictures. Like, just moving the body to try and get like a good look of taking pictures and stuff even though i haven't seen the film and uh, i crawl i know i know what it's about and i was definitely thinking about that as well and i, I guess um you know it's kind of interesting it's i actually didn't rewatch this issue i meant to but i didn't get around to rewatching it they reveal pretty early it's pretty much a vampire right like that's not a huge mystery no, it's not it's, yeah, uh, that was, that's another one. I had kind of like Christine. I'm like, is this supposed to be a twist that it really was a vampire? Um, you know, kind of, I suppose. Um, 
Yeah, because I, I, I suppose they tread the line where, okay, this dude's flying an airplane. Maybe he's not really a vampire, but it seemed kind of obvious that he was at the same time. I don't think anybody sat there and went, whoa, shit, vampires are real. <laughs> you know that amazing moment when he's looking in the mirror in the bathroom and he yeah, starts yeah. seeing the invisible piss, um, which is another amazing moment, by the way. <laughs> I thought that was, I thought that was hilarious as well. I don't think, but I don't think anyone sat there watching this film going, oh shit, he's invisible. He really is a vampire. Like, it's just kind of obvious. It almost looks like they're literally taking the piss there. Like, yeah, that's a twist. (laughs) The cover shows the face of a vampire. So, like, like the poster had a vampire. So, I don't think they were trying to hide that. Yeah, it's not like another 90s. God, I can't even say it because I'd hate to be the one who ruined that. It's like another 90s. Roger Rod- Robert Rodriguez movie that came out that you know <laughs> where that's a surprise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That annoyed me the fact that it had the that it had the not that it had like the I'm looking at the poster now and it has like the vampire bat as the shadow of the plane, but the fact that it has the face on the poster is that's kind of yeah that's such a like, that's a good reveal because you yeah. wouldn't expect him to look like that. Like when you think vampire, you're just gonna think like they're like a Dracula or even at the worst case scenario a Nosferatu. But as you said earlier, Zach, they kind of really go heavy with like how it looks like a sort of human bat. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I think even though it's not a twist that it's a vampire showing the look and keeping that under wraps i think would have been very effective yeah because you don't i mean that's in the last 20 minutes right like until yeah, you that's... actually see him face to face yeah. exactly yeah we never see his face we see the outline with like the big dracula sort of cloak we see that but we never see his face until that last moment when he sort of reveals it to to uh miguel Ferrer's character so I think it's really good practical good. effects too with the tooth coming down out of the mouth yeah. and going back in it is it's, it's um it, that looks good but, but my, my favorite my part fa- sorry chris but no no just before we move on from the poster because there's not that much else to talk about it i do like the fact that it says evil has a flight plan <laughs> i love to like you know you always see taglines you're like man that's a really clever tagline and then you'll see <laughs> shit like that and you're like they got an intern to make that up <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Sorry, Adam, go ahead. What were you saying? That was probably more more interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to talk about my favorite part of the ending, if we can get into spoilers territory. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Spoiler warning for people who haven't seen this movie. Uh, it's <laughs> on YouTube. Go watch it. It's free. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, just make sure you click the right version, because one of them only goes to 480p, and the other one goes to 720p. Fucking DVDs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the ending of this film, the part where he's like, I'll show you hell, and then it switches to like black and white. That and it has like it starts showing uh, the Miguel Ferrer's character like the sort of ghosts of all the people he's sort of photographed, and it kind of is coming back now to haunt him. That was just amazing. Like how they even thought to do that. Um, that's that's surely. I don't know if you have you read the short story of this. Like that definitely seems like a very long time ago. Game. Yeah, it, it, I wish I could sit there and say I remember it. I don't. Yeah. I, his short story collections are a lot. <laughs> There's so yeah. many stories in them. <laughs> it feels very Stephen King. So I would be surprised if that part isn't lifted directly from the short story. That feels very Stephen King. Um, the way they did that, the way they shot it was was amazing. Um, in the black and white, but all the fog and yeah, that's what really, really kind of turned me around on this film a little bit because up until then, like I said, I, I it took me a while to get into it, <laughs> um, but then. You know, I thought, yeah, this is fine. This is has the odd funny moment. Miguel Ferrer is good. It's a 
like we said, like we've been talking about, it's a sort of good um, sort of look at how dirty the tabloid industry is and all that kind of stuff. But during that sort of five minute sequence where he's basically being chased down by the ghosts of all the people he's, you know, fucked over by photography and, you know, take pictures of their dead bodies and stuff and profiting off it. It's just really amazing sequence. And it really made me sort of sit there and go, that was awesome. That was, that was really well done. It was well put together. Um, and it really ties the film together really well um, because it's kind of easy to kind of end this kind of film with him just killing him or something like that, you know, but to make him kind of go through that and basically make him go fucking insane. Um, I thought that was a really interesting direction to go and, and, and I'm with you it was kind of really pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm with you. I think it's kind of feels like it's gotta be the Stephen King ending just because like, you know, as criticized as King is about his endings, usually he doesn't take some easy way out, like even if it's ill-advised and he should. So yeah, something like, oh, he just kills him at the end because, you know, Ferreira kind of deserves that in this film. Um, just doesn't feel like Stephen King. Wait, sorry, is Stephen King uh, criticized for his endings? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's, oh, he yeah. makes a joke about it and it. Like his cameo in It Chapter 2 is pretty much him making fun of the fact he's criticized for his endings. Yeah, he is. Like, the man can't end the story to save his life. I thought the ending to The Shining was awesome. The I, I'm, Are you talking about the book? The book, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and I, that's why it's I tell okay, people I watch Dr. Sleep. If you love the ending of The Shining book, please go watch Dr. Sleep. Like he changes basically the ending of the of Doctor Sleep to do that, and it's really cool. So interesting. I uh, have to go back and maybe read more of his stuff. I didn't really because like the ending to the Stand was great. The ending to the Dark Tower was like appropriate. I felt like. Uh, but well, you know that that's one that that's, went back. And, that's see, a I like the ending, ending. To the Dark Tower too, but it's definitely it's yeah, controversial. It's, yeah, it's a con- like yeah, it, people have really went back and forth of whether that's going to. I think it's his best ending that he's done. But it's not a satisfying ending. And I, Wait, I think that's a king and a generalist. You, He's not satisfying. Are you saying it's like, are you talking about like the ending or the, the epilogue where he goes and says, don't read this unless you have to have right, an ending? Yeah, the, that, yes, that is. Don't, that don't read it section is the part oh. people don't like. Yeah, um, I don't like that either. But uh, <laughs> I, like <his> orig- <laughs> <laughs> I like his original ending. <laughs> And, you know, there's always, and it depends on the era for King, too. Like, I think he's actually struggled more with endings now. And, you know, I think going back to a lot of his endings, you say, okay, like, you get where he's going from, like, it. It is, you know, I know that's your favorite book, right, Adam, if I remember correctly. Um, And the ending of that has always got criticism because it turns into a glow spider and people think that's kind of weird. And um, it's a strange book. Like, it is, I think the problem a lot of people have with it is they think of it as a, a pair like a supernatural killer clown movie which it is but it's also very cosmic um oh yeah for sure like penny pennywise is just one of the forms he takes like in the book he takes so many other forms other than pennywise um well i say he you know this sort yeah, of, yeah. Uh, this creature um you know takes so takes so many different forms pennywise is just kind of the most iconic one because of the tv movie where they really sort of um they're really double down on it um so th- yeah the, the book will will show you a lot of different ways of looking at it but yeah the ending isn't isn't great um it's obviously there's that really fucked up part um with you know as as they're after they've defeated sure. it uh <laughs> yeah 
really fucked up part um, that they'll never put on the film. <laughs> the amount of here. coke King had to be on to make that up. So much, so much, so much copious amounts of cocaine. Um, and then I don't really like the epilogue either, The where he beats the devil too. I don't really care about the epilogue either. Um, you know, it's it's fine. It's, yeah, I, it, I did, the end did very... Because of like the worlds he creates and the atmosphere he creates and the ideas he has, but He's always been criticized for endings. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, I'd never say he takes an easy way out on an ending, which I can at least appreciate. Like, I don't Except think he... with the Dark Tower. You think that's easy? Like, I feel like that's like the hard one to take. Like, because you knew that was going to piss people off. Well, I suppose, yeah, easy from a writing point of view. Maybe not an easy Oh, yeah, I mean, you're just, you're, you're just taking the first lines of the first book and putting it at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Physically, that's easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I wanted to ask you about something real quick because I think, I mean, we're essentially done with the Nightfly, right? Good, easy flick to watch, really cool ending. Good B movie. That's what that's yeah, kind of what we're talk about in a second. It's good B movie. Yeah. So I want to ask you all about Stephen King for a second because I, I've noticed this trend that I think I just am curious about. Like, um, there are certain writers and directors that are populists, but sort of like in the best way, right? Like, Kurosawa was a populist. His movies are meant to be enjoyed by everybody, for the, like for the most part. Like, like he, he, you know, watching a Kurosawa movie versus watching like some of the more obscure Fellini stuff, you can tell that Kurosawa meant, or he just naturally, like innately inside him, like knew how to entertain well and like knew how to entertain the mass as well. I think Spielberg falls under that. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of directors that are kind of like no matter what they do, they can't help but they have a good sensibility for what people are gonna like. And I think Stephen King is like this as well. Um, uh, you know, I think he's, it, it's interesting, even when I was back in college, so this was 20 years ago now, there was this debate going on about whether or not he was literature or fiction. And people get really up in arms about the fact that he's not literature, but he keeps winning these like literary awards for his writing. Um, but they like the, the argument is that, well, he's like a populist. He's writing like pulpy, you know, stuff. Like he can't be considered like a proper, you know, whatever. Like he can't be considered next to James Joyce or whatever. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, but I, I was really just curious. Showed, I hate that divide. Like, I just think it's a terrible divide. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm going with this. Kind yeah. of unnecessary, right? Like, I mean, King is probably one of the most influential writers in Hollywood at this point. I can't think of another author who might be more adapted at this point. Like, I'm trying to think of maybe someone else who has more of their work adapted. Uh, you, you'd have to go back to, like, Edgar Allan Poe or something. And, I mean, how often do you see a Poe story anymore? Every year we're going to get a Stephen King something. Um, we got one just on Netflix, like, three days ago. Yeah. I mean, that's that's backing up the argument that he's, like, a populist writer, I guess, yeah. right? Because Hollywood and, and the, the, those two things go so hand in hand. And I, I, I just, think he, yeah, he tells simple, like his storytelling is just kind of simple. Like it's, it's almost like being around a campfire. Like that's the way he tells stories. Yeah. Like he's not here. Like, I think he's got a good prose. A lot of people don't like his prose. It's not Cormac McCarthy. Like I'm going to make this as difficult as fuck to read, but it's artistic <laughs> because I don't think he wants that. I think he wants people to read his shit and enjoy it. If we're going to compare him, I'd say maybe you can compare him to Tolkien where, Again, their prose isn't isn't like going to be taught in literature classes anywhere, but their world building 
is is amazing like that's what yeah. i love about stephen i love when i read a stephen king book and suddenly he's taking us back to the 1940s to show us the backstory of one minor character he loves creating worlds and, and sort of giving as much backstory and he creates really interesting backstories for his characters that's my favorite part of it um throughout it the book you know there's snapshots of of Derry throughout the history of like when pennywise or whatever you know the demon who you know who masquerades pennywise has attacked people throughout the history of Derry. And that's honestly my favorite part of it when he jumps between history and shows all those bits and pieces. He does it in The Shining, showing threat, you know, the history of the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. He, he does it in nearly all of his sort of major books. You know, he jumps between characters a lot in The Stand, of course, as well. So I think he's very, very good at creating creating worlds. Um, I'm not, like, when I say his, like, again, his prose is simple, but... I find it engaging. I like the the way he writes. Uh, when I sit down and watch a Stephen or read a Stephen King book, it takes a lot for me to stop. He's a real page turner. Uh, yeah, and I think um, you know people criticize like, oh yeah, you know, I started reading it when I was thirteen, like that's a bad thing. But I was like, I think he likes that. I mean, he's such a great introduction to horror, and you can enjoy him at any age or however much you're into horror, you can enjoy him. I think yeah, that's like, what's kept like, him so popular. Like his prose isn't James Joyce, but he doesn't have to be. He's he doesn't really want to be. At, I don't think he, he wants to be. No, he's, he's really good at what he does. You know, he's he's great at telling stories at the end of the day. You can be a great writer and a great and or a great storyteller. Some people are both. Um, but then like there's you know, there's there's authors that people enjoy who I think enjoy writing difficult prose just for the sake of being difficult. Mm-hmm. Especially like Corn McCarthy. That's I always talk about with him how fucking hard his shit can be. I'm not going to yeah. use quotation marks. Well, it's not, it's that shit of not yeah. using quotation marks. Like, it's yeah. like, oh, it's worthless. I'm like, it's not worthless until I don't know if you're telling me something or a character. Is well, he got something. that from Joyce. That's something yeah. that's, that's Joyce. That, that's a Joyce thing. And um, a lot of writers do that because of Joyce. That's how he does. He does the little, the little, what you call it, the little yeah. dash and then sort of starts his dialogue that way. That's a Joyce thing. Um, but Stephen King is a great storyteller. Um, again, his, his prose, like how he constructs a sentence, his syntax is not going to be studied in English literature classes. But if you're looking to actually tell a great story, then that should be like that, should, that could be taught in class because he's a great storyteller. And, you know, I, I think what also makes King so appealing is kind of his personality. Like he's not like 100 percent out all the time, but every interview you watch with him, he just seems like a really down to earth guy. And I think that attracts people to him. Like you listen to him talk, tell, even tell stories of his personal life. It's like, he just seems kind of like a nice dude who just mm. likes to, who, whose only passion in life is he likes to write and we'll do it. And pretty much until he's dead in the ground. When I, when I was in college, I, I totally agree with that, by the way, when I was in college, I was a real, I, I took a deep dive into like intellectual ism i don't know like i was like reading books about being an intellectual and like i really like kind of douchey but like i just like for whatever reason it like is interesting to me and then i saw sullivan's travels and there's this really cool you know it's about a guy who um basically has like a very tiny uh crew that goes and is like making a movie about being poor in the u.s in the 40s or maybe in the great depression um and one of the things he finds on his journey, there's a moment in, in that movie. I don't, I don't think this is a spoiler. I, I don't, it's not really like a spoiler type movie, but there's this moment where he gets his identity card lost and he ends up in prison and he's sitting there and these prisoners are watching 
uh, cartoons. I forget if it's a Mickey Mouse cartoon or whatever, but it's they're just watching cartoons and they're like dying laughing. And he has this realization that he's approaching it from the wrong way. Like, like people in America don't want to see a movie about poverty. They want to be lifted out of the poverty for a moment and like have this escape. And, you know, like I, anyways, it was an influential moment for me to realize that like the stuff that I grew up with was still okay to watch because I was like against Shawshank Redemption now because it wasn't whatever, whatever. Like I was just like, you know, I went through that. You kind of go, I think you go through those phases where it's like you try to run away from those things that were influential. And that, that was like a big, that was the big moment for me of realizing what, oh, I just like what I like. And so ever since then, I, that's when I started liking Stephen King and I've been defending him a lot um, for my life. And, and I think Tolkien is a good example as well, just a good storyteller. I think, yeah, there's some people that their, their books just can like, you get like completely immersed in the world that they create, you know, two hours go by and you like don't want to stop reading. And I think there's something that, to that that is just, is fun. And, and that's, you know, anyways, to go back to these movies that we saw, like, like Stephen King, which is, I think, ironic that you always think he doesn't do endings well. I think both of these movies have good endings. And I like the way that the, I don't know, denouement or whatever happens. Like, I like the way that that third act happens and the way the story comes together and the way that the surprise happens. I will say, I, I tend to defend, like, I do think to a sense, Stephen King gets over-criticized for his endings. I think some of them just end up aging better than others. Mm-hmm. Um like the sense when people first read them, like, well, that's not where I thought this was going to go. And they kind of get a little, because I mean, when you're reading a book, especially when you read like some of the shit he writes, it's like 2000 pages long or whatever. You've kind of already just started developing how you think this is going to go. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, King follows that. You kind of figure out what he's doing for the most part. And then he'll throw something at the end. You're like, what? <laughs> what is this? Why is there a giant glowing spider? <laughs> where did that come from? Why is there a turtle god? You know, it's just stuff like that. But I think, you know, you, you when you sit down and you think about it, you're like, okay, I, I see what he's doing. And the, I think the longer you sit on it, sometimes you can really find it. Though credit to, I think, I can't remember the book ending very well, but I do think the ending for the movie Christine is fairly different just because the whole situation's a little different. And I mean, I think Carpenter's the same way. He kind of likes his endings to be a certain way like i mean going back to halloween i mean then the halloween michael myers is gone and all we hear is the breathing that lasts over and at the end of christine we see um the car move for a second as it's trying mm-hmm. to rebuild itself and you know i think you know that's just a very carpenter type ending you know mm-hmm. the ending of it's for him it's over there's not it's not sequel bait necessarily it's just like evil never dies yeah. evil will always come back yeah 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 um it's a very simplistic way and i think that's why carpenter works well with king because i think they both have that similar worldview that evil exists but it's not the end all be all you know it's not nihilistic it's just reality hey reality bad things happen Mm -hmm. but good people should be able to go through that in some sense okay so we're gonna sign off with any other business as always where we just give a uh Quick rundown of things we've seen recently. Do we want to give a shout out to uh, Zach? Do you want to hop in first with yours? Yeah, I can hop in real quick. So um, give a little background. Uh, one of the, you know, we talk about like icons. We talked about Pennywise earlier. Well, in a similar vein, there is uh, 
an icon that's been trying to be made for a while named Arthur the Clown, who got famous for Terrifier. Terrifier, he was in a bunch of shorts and stuff like that. Uh, full disclosure, I despise Terrifier. I think it's a terrible movie. I hate it so much. Um, the thing with, uh, you know, I guess the criticism I always get is people always say, oh, it's a throwback to 80 slashers. And I was like, no, 80 slashers were good. That's a huge difference. Um, <laughs> but credit to where credit's due, uh, the actor who plays Art the Clown, uh, former mine, he does an extremely good job. He's very creepy. The issue I've kind of always had with him is he looks very try hard as, a, as like a killer. I, I don't know if you guys have seen what Arthur Clown looks like, but he's got like these rotten teeth. It's not necessarily scary to me. It's like, you know, when you think of like a scary clown, like obviously you're going to think of Tim Curry's Pennywise, which is kind of a normal-ish looking clown. But that's kind of what makes it creepy is because you see this normalish looking clown in these places he shouldn't be. Um, and that's kind of the disturbing part about it. So that came out, I think it's in 2016, 2017. And you got, you got a, garnered a massive fan base. And they announced the second movie was going to come out. Um, that just came out on a special event from Regals. And I was really hesitant because the runtime was two and a half hours for a slasher film. In what world would that work? So I was very hesitant. I went the other night to go see it. I actually got to go see Halloween, the original on the big screen. And I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm here. I might as well go see Terrifier 2 and just be up till 2 in the morning. Um, so I go in and I try to go with an open mind. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, it's I, I, I'm not going to put it like a lot of people put it how it's the best movie, but one of the best horror films of the year. It's not that thing but i do want to talk about how kind of interesting the film is and how it almost justifies its incredibly long runtime um in one sense of what they're doing is uh so kind of the plot of the film is there's this girl and uh she is you know building this halloween costume that makes her look like this almost like this warrior princess that her dad had drawn before he had passed away um and arthur clowns come back to cause all this havoc in this town or whatever and she's got like this special sword her father was obviously like this almost like this oracle type character it's a fantasy film that has like a slasher villain in it mm. like almost like art the clown is supposed to almost be like this notorious dragon that needs to be slain to save the town sort of idea but put in a little bit more slightly more grounded way because it's in just like a small town america type thing but it's using all of that it gets very fantasy um and really sadly my biggest criticism is art the clown doesn't fit in this kind of cool like slasher fantasy movie it just like the actor does fantastic he does a really great job all credit to him for what he's able to do it's just the character itself doesn't necessarily fit but i mean i have to give a lot of credit to how different it is the only thing i can kind of come up that's similar is maybe nightbreed where you have like Cronenberg slasher character in this like fantasy world almost, but I think it's actually maybe done a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, really interesting movie. House two. Did you ever see House Two? Oh, it's been a long time. I don't even remember it. I'm they sure get I've into like they get into like stop motion and time travel and dinosaurs and like it becomes this like like fantasy kind of movie set in a haunted house. I might have to rewatch it because I, I was kind of like not I'm gonna say and say I'm blown away. I was pleasantly surprised i was like okay we're going kind of in an interesting territory here we're like you know i thought we were just going to get another cheap super gory slasher movie with paper thin characters and nothing interesting to hold on to and i was like you know what 
there's a lot of heart and attempt to put in here to do something new. And I all credit to that. Like, I just think that's neat. Wholesome art, the clown. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'll go next. So I have seen, um, let's see, what do I want to call out? I, so Anacondas three and four are bad. I'll just leave it at that. No, no need to see three and four. Is three the one something about an orchid? Uh, that's two. Uh, two. So okay, three, I haven't three, seen any of them. I haven't three or four then. So three and four kind of basically are, were made at the same time. They pulled like a, a Lord of the Rings, um, uh, <laughs> on a ten thousand dollar budget. Um, they use the worst CGI I've seen maybe ever in a movie like whenever the snake comes out you're like oh dude come on it's like do you remember those old like when 3d modeling was first a thing and they kind of showed like what 3d modeling could do and it was just like super cheesy and like it was meant for like almost like a classroom it was like almost that bad um the third one they snuck in somehow and got david hasselhoff so he got to at least choose scenery for a while which was fun um and then four is just just kind of rough um, but probably the thing that's more interesting to talk about would be um, I saw Risky Business maybe for the first time. I couldn't remember. But have you seen that? I've no. actually never seen. I've never seen Risky Business, funnily enough. It's a little bit darker than I thought. Like it, I, I just in my head, it was this really, really light, like almost like John Hughes type of film. That's what I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not going to say it's like depressing or like super dark or anything but like uh it's more well maybe dark is not the right word it's a little bit more serious than i thought and then in the second half it opens up and do you know the basic premise where he he becomes like a jig he becomes an accidental gigolo oh okay no i have no idea what it's about i've seen i know that little sequence where he's like dancing in in his his living room and that's yeah yeah yeah. he's like he's like this innocent kid that befriends a, a sex worker and through a series of events, she ends up using his house while his parents are out of town, and and uh, and he becomes a gigolo. Um, but um, it's done in an interesting way. Like it's not, it's funny at times, and it's lighthearted at times. Um, but it's just more serious than I thought. They 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 play it closer to a drama than a comedy. So I was a bit surprised by that. But it's good. It's actually I really liked it. It's good. Sounds like when I first when I watched uh, Dirty Dancing for the first time, and you know I expected that to be kind of light and breezy, but there's a lot of sort of more serious stuff in that film as well. Great, so. great example. Yeah, like there's there's like levity in the movie, but like the tone is a little bit more serious and like yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great comparison actually. So what about you? What have you been watching? Uh, I've been watching horror movies straight. The only non horror movie I've watched this month so far is Bo Travail uh, for the Film Club. Um, so when you're listening to this the discussion for Boat Travail will be up. So if you've seen it, come talk to us on Criterion Conversation about Boat Travail. It's my second time watching it. Great movie. Um, and I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of horror movies that I've watched. My month didn't start off amazing. I was like kind of going, ah, fuck, what did I get myself into? Because um, <laughs> I watched I watched a few. There was a couple of like older uh, horror films that I didn't think held up very well. Prince of Darkness, which I already talked about earlier, yeah. which nearly put me to sleep. Um, but luckily the last few days have been a lot kinder to me so and there's four things i'm going to just really just breeze through and just give a shout out to so um there's a film that came out last year called we're all going to the world's fair um which is really really good 
very lo-fi, kind of half found footage, half not. Um, it plays with a couple of different mediums. Um, I found it really interesting because it plays with the idea of um, creepypastas, online alternative reality experiences, that kind of thing, which okay. um, I've been really interested in since I was a teenager. Um, something I used to watch. I used to watch a lot of like the old sort of Slenderman series that used to be on okay. YouTube, like Marble Hornets and Tribe 12 and stuff like that. So yeah. uh, I liked that. I thought that was cool. Uh, really, really cool film. Um, then I watched a Mario Bava film, The Whip and the Body. Um, with uh, Christopher Lee, who for some absolutely bizarre reason is dubbed by an American. Um, very strange decision. Um, but really, really good film. Looks stunning. Gorgeous. Cinematography is, is amazing. It's kind of like has a has a Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe vibe. It does how it was shot. Um, cool. So really, really cool film. Um, and then... We have the new Marvel special presentation, Werewolf by Night, um, which is just a one-off special. I think it's about 50 minutes long, 55 minutes long. Um, and it's a homage to Universal Horror Movies. So it's shot in black and white. Uh, even has like sort of artificial sort of crackling of film and cigarette burns appear okay. in the corner and everything okay. like that. So it really, it really doubles down uh, on the influence and it's super gory and has like a, has like a decent amount of swearing in it. Um, so like, like maybe like don't watch this with Owen. Because <laughs> um, like I was watching it, I was watching it um, in bed and Neve was watching something herself on the iPad. I was watching on my laptop, my headphones in. And there's like this one part where like a sword like goes through someone's head and it's like sticking out of their head. And I turned it to Neve and she was like, what are you watching? I'm like, this is Marvel. <laughs> okay <laughs> it's, it's really gory but it's in black and white so they kind of get away with it um but yeah it was it was it was better it, well better maybe than i thought it would be um it was by the guy michael giacrino giacchino can't really pronounce his name he's he's a composer and very very sort of well-known film composer he's probably one of the more famous ones this is his directorial debut and i thought it was okay. really good and uh, the last thing then i'll just give a shout out to was a film i watched yesterday from 2015 called Hell House LLC. Okay. Have, you, have you seen that one? No. It's probably like the best found footage film I've ever seen. Because um, okay. the cast are all like really likable. They have good chemistry. Um, basically, it's about a documentary crew are making a documentary about this disaster that happened at a Halloween sort of spook house, you know, kind okay. of those kind of you know houses get put up for Halloween, you know. Um, and a bunch of people died and there was a kind of mystery about how they died. So this documentary crew are making a documentary about it and they meet the sole survivor of the crew and she gives them a bunch of videotapes. The crew were sort of making their own behind the scenes in the lead up to the opening night. Okay. Um, and that kind of gives hints as to what's happening. And so it kind of jumps between the sort of present and the past. And nice. it's really well done. It's really put together. It's, it's genuinely scary. I do not get scared of horror movies. And I was genuinely freaked out by this film. Okay. Um, it's really, really good. It's it's on Shudder here. I don't know where it's streaming in America. It might be on Shudder there as well. But I really recommend it. It's, like, it's definitely like the best found footage film I've ever seen. It's really, really enjoyable. Um, so those those are some films I've been watching. I've been, I'll be going to be watching more horror films for the rest of the month. So next time we kind of reconvene, I'll tell you my highs and lows. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, right, speaking of that, are we going to be watching horror next time? We will, we will. So 
we're going to be continuing the theme. We're going to be watching another couple of horror movies. This time okay. we're going to be watching uh, two kind of older horror movies. So one of them is from 1957, and that is the Jacques Tournier film, uh, The Night of the Demon, um, which stars Dana Andrews, funnily enough, um, from Double Indemnity fame. Um, so that's that one. We're going to be watching that. And we're also going to be watching... Uh, more sort of underrated one because Night of the Demon is pretty well known. Uh, a lot of people know that movie. This one is one that I just sort of stumbled across on Shutter. I watched it and I loved it, and I recommended it to Zach, and he watched it and loved it. Um, so it, you're the only one who hasn't seen it. And it's called The City of the Dead. Um, it's from 1960 by this dude called John Moxie, who only made like two movies and then just switched to TV for the rest of his career and did like episodes of like Magnum PI and stuff okay. <laughs> for like the rest right. of his career. But sure. this film is awesome. I can't wait for you to see it. It looks gorgeous. Um, yeah. It starts Christopher Lee as well, but um, yeah, another couple of horror movies. These ones are a bit more lean towards sort of folky, witchy and horror. I won't give too much away about either film, but that's the kind of vibe we're going to be taking uh, with those two films. So perfect looking forward to talking about them they're both going to be rewatches for me of course as i've mentioned but i'll be looking forward to rewatching both of them probably next week at some point okay cool man great well thank you uh what a good easy episode i like it yeah yeah so yeah we'll close off there guys so again thanks for listening if you enjoyed my episode i did solo last week uh come and comment on it on the on the reddit come join the reddit and maybe give me some feedback from the first time recording on my own so if there's any feedback to be given, I, I very I, I thrive off feedback and, and constructive criticism. So uh, <laughs> please, please come and comment, uh, join the Reddit, comment, you know, just engage with us. We'd love to hear from, from you guys to sort of see if there's anything you like or maybe don't like and you want to give us some feedback on things you might want to see in the future. 